previously on Two Hungry Children. You know, I think that that particular dish for me is so, it is, it's, it's such a true tribute to the, to just Africa, African people, black people because of, of all of the elements that are, are on that plate, the pig feet, you know, representing this, this down rotten food that was throw, was a throw throwaway food that no one was to eat it was to give be given to the slaves put it out there to slop and to elevate that to cook that down in the root of turmeric that's rich in that yellow color that that tone and then to flavor it with all of these other amazing aromatics that activated charcoal the skin of our people that represents us, our struggle, our tar-colored skin to our light-colored skin to our brown-colored skin to our caramel-colored skin to our white-colored skin. We're represented in all of that. We are actively working together. Because you're beside me, um, I thought you were chewing on the sugar cane, and then I had like another like trap door into that experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like it brings me back to this idea of again like who is it for, right? Yeah. You know, you have to eat that dish. You know, you have to know that like you can chew on the sugar cane, and that's a part of the dish. But like you could also just eat the pig's feet and have a completely fine experience. You know, it's so yeah. layered and so rich in that way. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of this experiences, so, like, I mean, to quote a Spike Lee movie, <laughs> but, like, you know, there's brothers on the wall. For Nicey, part two. And I think each chef, and so that's the trust piece because like we reached out to Wedge mm-hmm. um, originally just because we knew they'd be a good partner. We've worked with them before and we knew that they would be willing to, I kept saying this, be them to play in the sandbox with us, <laughs> but the same sort of thing, like take a risk with yeah. us. And right away Ken wrote back and said, he had been talking to Liz about Jorian's work, wow. and they were thinking of bringing her here for like a bigger show. Okay, but they were they weren't sure because it was such a short timeline, right. mm-hmm. and it's a smaller show, mm-hmm. and you know, and so we were like, let's get together. And I was like, you got this. They, you know, everyone was just like, I know this sounds crazy, but, but let's, like, just let's just do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then as soon, and I knew it would just work out, but as soon as. Jorian and Liz and Suzanne started to speak together um, the themes just started to unfold Mm -hmm. and the synergy was there and suddenly like layer on layer on layer Mm -hmm. but it's those are the I think that's what the the difference between like 
artists like an artist approach to something Mm -hmm. is that you're kind of willing to take those risks um, and to trust people um, and to sort of enter in with an open heart Mm -hmm. and then as soon as you start to just trust that process if you go into like I'm a total process queen I love (laughs) process art making (laughs) so this is just as much fun as the end result (laughs) but if you start to do that then then the the themes will emerge and uh, it'll feel authentic the same way as like the art up here feels authentic Conversations with their relatives in Jamaica. Here's someone that's channeling this, echoing this stuff, and channeling it through music. 
and trying to say to everybody that you know the peace and love is the important thing to not get too caught up in the everyone talking about PNP and the JLP you know you're everyone else talking about the People's National Party versus the Jamaica Labour Party and you know I had <laughs> uncles that wouldn't you know, uncles that wouldn't talk with each other you know it was crazy you know and you realize how important the music was because you know, the music was kind of this vehicle of, you know get the political message across, but also in the case of Bob Marley was there to kind of be a salt, soften the blow. You know? mm-hmm. right. It was really important. So the music thing though for me was like a badge of honor and kind of the first move toward thinking about my own identity. Art <laughs> became a much bigger thing later on, but for me it was about, you know, staking my claim and going like, okay, so folks, you know, I might be the same as you because I listen to my Iggy Pop and I listen to my Patti Smith, and my, but I'm also different than you because I know all these artists that I'm seeing in Jamaica in the summers and enjoying this. So I would kind of, as I was just mentioning, I would I would love when these albums would come out that were kind of the hybrid ones, like The Clash and you know, punk with, with like reggae and, and and later on groups like Massive Attack and so forth. Amazing, you know, loved it. Like uh, club music was reggae, but I was always that only black guy at the rock concert, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. you know that too, right? I mean, yeah. girls would be coming up to me going like, "Can you, can you, uh, can you get us backstage?" I'm like, "I'm not a roadie. I'm not with the band. I'm not with the band." Guys be coming up, you're going like, "Can you get some herb? Can you get us some herb?" I'm like, "The Jamaican guy will get us herb." I'm like, "I'm not." Herbs, man. <laughs> dealer. I'm a fan. You know, we had mega deaths with like Rob Osborne for two black guys and stuff. You know, evil destruction. One, two, fuck you. And like, people be like, you know, with two black guys at the concert. Like, for me, it was just my music as much as the regular. It was all mine. So that hybrid thing was ingrained in how I grew up. Be that only black kid in class You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was always, always all yours. And you would, you would just fight with people that would tell me, oh, you might listen to that white music. Why are you listen to that black music? Why are you listen to that? I would just, this is all my music. It was all mine. Right. Right. It's kind of nice. Oh, you remain up front. A great big Cadillac diamonds in the back. Some rooftop. Big in the same with gasoline. That's the white wall. I just 
sort of I'm just curious like when you when you started cooking or like did you cook when you were a kid or like did you yeah what was your what was your experience of getting into being um, a chef? I didn't cook when I was a kid too much I mean I I loved food I was a big girl <laughs> I'll tell you that I was definitely <laughs> a big fat girl my sister and I still to this day call each other fat girls but in a, such a loving way <laughs> but we uh yeah we we definitely had it in our family my dad um when he was coming over one of the stories that I've heard is that he used to work on a cruise ship that came over from Jamaica and he was like he never went back on the ship but you know that's his story (laughs) um there's also the story that my great my great grandmother used to cook in the village I used to sell and she was like Miss Nanny that everyone knew and her food was the best in 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 the village in Kingston Jamaica and um when I was in my early 20s I decided to become vegan and I had at the time a, a really close friend she and I decided why don't we like cook together why don't we do like some catering something and so I kind of dibble dabbled in things like that but never really really um drove a strong desire to like follow becoming a cook or a chef or whatever it might be My mom's white and my dad's was Nigerian, and um, I I was usually one of two or three brown people in my school, and so there was always I don't know I don't think it was competition so much as it was like, well I'm gonna be going to see SNFU tonight, and like so if you're gonna be doing like whatever that thing is that everyone's expecting you to do, like don't expect me to be there. Like it was like always like. Well, you know, I totally, I'm like in love with the violent fans, so like deal with it. (laughs) Which is this really funny because it's, 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 it was like pushing me into also like a formation of of something that was like, like, yeah, self. Yeah, yeah. And and so I feel like, yeah, that that the part that I'm coming late to is that, I I don't know, I was thinking about this today, I was walking Mm -hmm. past this like beautiful mixed girl today, like a girl, like she's quite young, I mean, I think she's like, 12 or 13 mm-hmm. and like I saw her look at me and then like look away like she didn't see me you know like kind of like whatever I don't yeah. care it's fine like she yeah. like, and I was just like I remember doing that being like yeah I don't know yeah you're fine fine whatever we're both brown people it's fine who cares yeah but it was like 
oh man, like that's the connection you really like, yeah. It's like what you know, yeah. like you just couldn't like just own that and be like, yo, like totally. hi, like whatever, you know. And maybe there's nothing, like maybe there wasn't a connection, but maybe there is and you just wouldn't allow that to exist. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the that's where I'm in terms of curation now, I feel like I'm yeah, very much rooted in Yeah, and like making sure that like that I, I feel like very aware of um, having access to creating platforms to to support um, artists of color and the, mm-hmm. the, and like a lot of people that haven't had the opportunities to to see their voice and their vision and work for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that to me is like the most important thing. The most exciting thing that I see is when I see artists that are not not necessarily creating work. Um, that's like explanatory or whatnot, but that's just for other people of color. myself mm-hmm. I could have never imagined me myself running a hotel at a certain point in my life right. I just was I would never have guessed it <laughs> yeah. never have guessed it so like how it all happened was so organic and so the way I've done the hotel has been completely organic it's never come from a, like I've always wanted to be a hotelier and <laughs> travel and blah 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 it's really come from being an artist being interested in community um, how did how do you Anyway, that's a long, deep, dark, not deep, dark, deep dive, uh, but, you know, queer community yeah. and how that's formed my idea of um, public gathering spaces and bars and how important that was to queer culture when I was coming out like 25 years ago and there wasn't an internet to meet people. Bars were this place, safe space for queers to gather. Um, and so they form this huge part of your life. So. Um, I felt very connected to that idea of running a bar from that perspective. Um, and then it grew out of there from a bar to events to. Separation. 
Tell them about it. Yes. Tell them. Tell them. <laughs> Tell them. Okay, well, yeah, so, well, The Ethnic Isle has existed since 2011, and it's an online media arts journal that is focused on, on creating a platform for diverse writers uh, and artists. And uh, I've, I've uh, joined the team about two years ago because um, their website was atrocious. Mm. <laughs> yeah, nothing says I don't want to join but a shitty website. <laughs> I was like, there's so much amazing writing here about the city. And, yeah, you know, like, it's, I was like, but I can't even read it because I can't even see best, like, these bad photos. No. So anyways, but it's good. It's good. So anyways, um, it's, it's wonderful, like, amazing contributors. Um, and every issue is themed. And um, this, our last issue, <laughs> deleted, plugging away. Right no, now. no, no, plug, plug, plug away, plug away. If you can't but, plug here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where can I plug? The last issue was our visual issue. Um, I'll say that again, visual issue. Um, <laughs> the visual issue. She's in it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so. Um, one of the biggest, like one of the biggest things that I wanted to do, which will be an exhibition at Band Gallery on August seventeenth for the for, for the month until September seventeenth, um, is a um, is a portrait series of the Black visual arts community in Toronto, which obviously is not a static thing. So we I hired uh, four photographers to photograph sixty artists, um, and I feel. Painfully sad that 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 number to me still sounds too low, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's really it's a first chapter. It's something that I'm gonna try and figure out how to kind of maintain. But it was because like I know a number of different black artists in the city and like that don't know each other, mm -hmm. that we don't know that they exist, and that there's people that have you know I'd met a, a few kind of younger artists who you know didn't know about Deanna Bowen, and it's like. And how do you not know about Deanna? And like, and not not like a judgment, but just more like y'all need to know each other, like, and, and you know, or Michelle Pearson Clark. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 You know, like yeah. it's just so many people that, and, and like, and people who've had like really long and established careers. Uh -huh. And on top of it, not and not just in that one one direction intergenerational kind of. Um, aspect. I really feel like it's also really important for kind of um, a, some older artists to see that there is younger people. a community. Yeah. yeah, there's younger people, and that they like that their their influence and that what they've done has influenced people, whether or not they are, it's completely ignored.
I didn't know anything about this community. I went to school in Oakville. Yeah. So, so it's the same. It's very, very white. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I feel like even for my... Joke. <laughs> and for my... Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, I, honestly, when I started my program, I really struggled with what I was shooting. Yeah. Um, when I went into the program, I was all like, yeah, I'm going to do fashion. Mm-hmm. Maybe my first two years were like the most challenging. It wasn't until third year that I started to kind of, like I'd been traveling to Jamaica and um, shooting there for a while, but I don't know, I never really thought of actually using those photos or making that a bigger series until my last year. And I'm like, okay, like culture is actually what inspires me and is really important, but it didn't click until like my final year, like, okay, this is what I should be doing. I didn't know any of this community until, like, until then. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I just always, it's, I felt sort of similarly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, in this way of not knowing what was out there and who to connect to. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you've done an amazing job of connecting with the story and creating work and things like that. <laughs> and making the wonderful work, mm-hmm. um, but like in an alternate universe where that had not happened, you know, like that's what I that would that's what I find fearful. Or I find mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, like but there's so many like young black artists who like yeah don't have that person yeah. that didn't that yeah. didn't get yeah that the person didn't come to the show or like they didn't do the thing or whatever happened they didn't go to the school or whatever. Maybe it sounds like a downer. A <laughs> downer, but like, but I just, I mean, yeah, only I think Joy and realizes like she's lucky. You know? No, so no, lucky, no, no, for sure. Lucky but, to have met. But not, yeah. even, but not even in that way, but just, yeah. but just in the fact that like, not even to say that she was lucky or not, but just like that, that sometimes serendipity happens. But then there are other people yeah. and other schools that you know that didn't have mm-hmm. yeah. the person come in and do the thing. But right? then I and not to make sorry. I like becomes like the I guess like. The four of us, like Chloe, Madeline, and Dorian, and I, like we're all similar ages, and like all of like had certain access and privilege in the arts like world, mm-hmm. and like it kind of becomes our responsibility then as people who have like been fortunate enough to like totally. help the others in our generation who like maybe haven't or like continue that mentorship. Lifting like, as you rise, it's true. Yeah. You need to do it. Yeah. Like again, from my older guy perspective, I think like I just. I just see that you can't rely on the man. You can't rely on the government grant. You can't rely on the... No, really. No, we, I we, we try hard yeah. to utilize those things. And you have to learn what's out there in terms of financial support, in terms of like resources. But I really know, and I know Liz knows this too, Like you really kind of have to do it yourself in your own communities. Mm-hmm. You do it yourself, and then the people within those communities need to like go back in and... and lift as they rise like that's how I feel that's mm-hmm. how my parents were that's how I kind of hope I'll be with my kids it's like just listen to it yourself never mind about trying to get blah 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 to help you just do it yourself you know mm-hmm. but like count on people in your community to like nurture you and hold you that's the thing it doesn't work if you say we'll do it ourselves and the community is just not there so mm-hmm. this this disparate thing in the community is something we just have to eliminate in a generation this mm-hmm. thing about crabs in a barrel or I got mine you know you know like no everyone has to feel the sense and there's other models there's other communities Mm -hmm. where that is an inherent thing like we help the poorest family we assume that that kid 
that doesn't have that kind of parental support will just take her in or take right. him on and mm -hmm. like and this is kind of something that was lost because we had this in our community mm -hmm. we certainly had this in the caribbean it had this in africa like this is something in the black community that's sort of been lost for a lot of reasons you know mm -hmm. a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with the people in the community have to do with social forces and mm -hmm. politics and race and privilege so there's so many reasons why we're kind of like in this disparate thing where it's just okay i gotta get mine i put all my energy into my thing and mm -hmm. screw you i'm out and you just you crap stay back there you know it's <laughs> like that's a that's a big problem and i think actually the biggest problem in our community is this like i got mine and like i'm out rather than i got mine i'm gonna show you how to get you And it was it was always my 
it was always my like uh cringe truly i mm-hmm. mean truly true 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 cringe conversation was when anyone would ask me where are you from because then i would be like fuck man like okay here we go and you know forget about it like when i was living in atlanta and i was living in new york i was able you know i i definitely morphed into where wherever i was living so when i was living in florida i definitely sounded very floridian but then when i moved to i went to university in new york i was like i le- i was there was very like exposed to a lot of friends from brooklyn and i was like yeah brooklyn <laughs> like really could relate to brooklyn because there was such a huge jamaican community there and i was like i'm jamaican i live in brooklyn yes i'm brooklyn jamaican and i was like no it's just, actually it's just, you weren't born there you know <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like okay i'm gonna move to atlanta and then it was like black pride mecca black mecca everybody was black it was spelman college morehead morris brown it was like damn like you have to be proud to be black to live in atlanta if you are not you are like fucked <laughs> and it was like okay but i'm southern but i am not a southern belle i am not like black american mm. and in you know five years ago i i finally made that trip i i decided to to come up to canada with my with my boyfriend at the time who is now my husband australian man we get in the car we drive we, we leave from miami at the time i was living in miami and we drove up and I was like, okay, we're just going to go Canada, check it out. It's such a cool city. It's so fucking culturally mixed. There's mixed kids everywhere. There's mixed race couples everywhere. We'll be cool. It's great. And we get there and we fall in love. Like, we really fall in love with the city. And he proposes, like, the second day that we were there. (gasps) No way. I'm like, okay. The moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. Walk home in my hair now, and wondering what dress to wear now, I say a little prayer for you. I say a little bit for you. At work, I just take time. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about um, the initiative you're starting to get young girls in the kitchen mm-hmm. and about like mentorship um, within the food world um, and I guess the importance of getting young people and specifically young women and young women of color like into the kitchen um, and giving them those resources. Yes, the Dinettes, Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited about these, this 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 um, project. Um, it has been with me for from the beginning that I started Saturday Dinette. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working collectively with the YWCA 
at a Christian-based organization that helps give training for young girls um, in the culin- in, in the culinary world. Um, it, it supports them in getting their food handling certification as well as their smart serve. Wow. And it gives them, um, it was also giving them um, a stipend towards bus fare, uh, buying um, kitchen-safe shoes, kitchen-safe pants, and um, and also enabling them to be able to purchase a knife, a kitchen knife. Um, so it it was the um, it was an honor. It was a real, real, real pleasure and honor to be able to to participate in that, and then to also be able to now spearhead my own um, almost chef and training uh, program. Um, with the desire to get girls in the kitchen. I think as women, we always are expected to be in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We are always expected to know how to cook. Um, I can't even imagine if, you know, the conversation came up and you were like, ah, actually, I don't like to cook. Someone might be like, really? <laughs> you know how to cook? Like, you're black. Like, you know how to make fried chicken, right? <laughs> But I think, like, the real conversation is about, like, giving, empowering women in the kitchen and understanding that your role is not just, you know, to serve. Your your your, your role is to enrich, to nurture, to support, to enlighten, to, um, to, to sustain, mm-hmm. um, life and, 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 and individuals through food, through feeding them and through understanding cooking. And because my training was so driven in the, um, the knowledge and the desire to understand healing and food mm-hmm. there, I'm coming at it from like a, a completely different approach of just not just feeling like, okay, I need to get a job now in a kitchen and I need to start cooking and I need to make money. Like, I'm like, okay, I got to, you know, I want to find a job that, you know, kind of models where I want to take and I, I want to take myself as chef and I want to grow as a chef with these experiences. And how do I collectively work um, and train these women to be able to understand that you don't just have to go work at, at McDonald's or uh, um, Eastside Mario or, mm-hmm. or Wendy's. You can actually get a, a, a real, this is a career path. This is this can be a real working career path for you. I feel like the thing that I felt most was less so that like, I mean, I think it, it it's a, it's a, like a, a, a knotted situation of feeling like, yes, I'm not, maybe I'm not supposed to be here or whatever, but mostly like, I don't feel like I should be here. I, I don't, I think, I think I get caught up in like qualifications, right? About yeah. feeling like that I'm not qualified and you know, we can call it imposter syndrome and, yes. and, but I, I think that it's something that it's rooted in just in not knowing or understanding or having like, I think mentors and like that will tell you and show you how the path that you should go or you should talk to this person this is how you should talk to this person or like connect with this person or like you know all the things like it's like what we're talking about with food and like matrilineal knowledge right mm-hmm. the way that you understand how to we're using the, or like the the sugar cane right mm-hmm. and the, how you know how to eat the sugar cane is because some you saw somebody eating the sugar cane like that mm-hmm. you know yeah. and if you don't see someone eating the sugar cane like that <laughs> then you don't know yeah, yeah right then you just have to maybe like be a like in little like a fool and like try it and like eat it the wrong way or like
like mm-hmm. you know what I mean and that can be really hard that can mm-hmm. be really dis- di- um, non-encouraging and yeah. it can make you feel like you know when you're already working against so many other things it can really like knock you down you know? yeah totally yeah. So I feel like I'm always like just not knowing the right thing to do with which person and how to speak to the thing and you know and I, I so mentors for me is really important and I think that you were talking about this kid I don't know if you think of it as a mentorship or like a whatever relationship. Um, for sure, for sure. Like, and you know, I think that my peers are also my mentors in that way. But, yeah. but how creating those situations where those things can happen, I think, is really important. And connecting people with mentors that are willing to really like show them the ropes in that way, because you never, you don't know what the black art fucking world looks like until somebody takes your hand and like yeah. drags you down the, <laughs> yeah. the, the rabbit hole yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, yeah. I want to be Alice in Wonderland yeah. I want to yeah. like go yeah. and you know and, yeah. and have these experiences of like of community and like artistic enlightenment and sure. you know all the stuff where well I have to say like at the launch on Tuesday um, it was like towards the end of the night and Pam Matheru came up to you and was like you have the black elders dancing and I was like who are the black, like, <laughs> who are my black yeah. actors, you know, like, but also obviously yeah, being yeah. so proud that I was, like, playing music with everyone dance too. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I, you know, I've been working as an artist and, like, trying to do my thing and, like, yeah, to just know that, oh, yeah, there's this community of, like, people who are, who have been doing shit here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm not always like striking out alone, like yeah, there is, like, or just like oh, like if and one day there is support, or you know, yeah. like yeah, and yeah, because it feels like it's like going back to like being the only black kid at the punk concert or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you always feel like you're like forging this path that no one else has done before, yeah. and you have to like needle and push, and then you're like yeah. talk to other, or, like find those like mentors or elders, and you're like no, like. Like, yes, I do have to, like, push and forge my own way, but also, like, there's examples of how to do it. Mm-hmm. Done some work. Yeah, before. and there's a network. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, uh, again, I don't want to sound like Gad, but I keep reminding you guys I'm the old guy here. <laughs> but I saw these movements happening in my life. So this is really fulfilling at this point to see, like, next generation, and then people are younger than you guys. And I see in my yeah. demo clinic everything at the Wedge Art events that are, like, you know, kind of the echo of the echo, you know, I'm like, damn, you know, I mean, I remember throwing a party for a guy named James Skinner who started Afropunk, and then we had, we had the movie, like, this kind of documentary they brought to TIFF, and I had a party for him in the backyard of my place in Toronto, and it was just jam up with, like, the whole, but, you know, cast from the movie, and then there were Toronto people, Cameron Bailey, and it was this completely fun thing, but it was just, like, like a new thing for everyone and I was so even the title I was like Afropunk you had me at Afropunk <laughs> <laughs> so then to see it morph into this you know Brooklyn thing and now it's beyond it's even a, you know yeah. like Instagram thing it's like, international it's big yeah. international yeah. thing I saw the same thing with Che Katari with like uh, Manifesto yeah. so Che came to me in 2003 he was this Ryerson student and Hey, you're gonna bring Jamal Shabazz. He knew who Jamal Shabazz was in 2003. I was like really impressed. This is the guy who took all the pictures in the subway in the 1980s, birth of hip hop, great documentary. He knew this. I was like, wow, you on point. I really want to write a story. Can I get access to Jamel? Meet him in his hotel room. I'm like, yeah, we put him up at this hotel. And we met, and 
he was so businesslike and he was running this new newspaper at Ryerson and I was just like, you really go in places and to see this guy more five years later he had manifesto going and five years after that now it's become like, you know, this giant thing and it's international. Mm-hmm. But I saw these things happen. I was close to these people. Yeah, Thelma Golden, Black Nail, whatever. I mean, I was at these openings and it's quite um, amazing to see as a collector of contemporary African art to see the well the influence has been happening over the last 20 years but to see that it's now kind of moving toward the top of the market in terms of what art collectors are interested in and what they're willing to pay for it now which you know is kind of like still so accessible compared to so affordable compared to artists of the same caliber who are not black you know it's sort of like still something that a dentist from toronto can afford i'm not some giant (laughs) that niggas got me hot And 
when we were living in Florida, there was a time where my dad actually wanted to open up a patty shop. And we actually went and saw a space. And I remember it so clearly as a kid. Like, even now, like, I was, like, 10. Mm. And he took us, and he was like, okay, guys, this is, like, where the patty shop is going to be. And I was like, yay, I get to work the register. And <laughs> I'm so excited. But I think my mom kind of shot that down because she was like, I don't, you know, restaurant industry, da-da-da-da. And we never opened that. He opened another business of his own, and it's still running, and it's doing well. But the patty was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to make my patty dough from scratch, and we're going to, like, make these dough fillings, and we're just going to have fun with it. And as I'm rolling out on the second day of service, I'm, like, there, and I'm, like, I got my fork, and I'm, like, forking, and it was literally like, oh, my gosh, this is what this is. This is what this is. I mean, one of the things that what this is for me, this is me realizing that I want to, <laughs> I want to open my own patty shop. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, you know, like, in, in this weird kind of, like, trying to impress my dad, but not, like, just the, the desire to have my dad accepting something that I'm going to do, because that's definitely, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the last of, I'm the last daughter in our, in our family. Um, and the desire to have my dad accept and, and feel like, yes, she did what she said she was going to do. This is it. This is it. This is the patty shop. This is the patty. And, you know, my first tattoo I ever got is on my on, on my wrist. And it's my mom's second name that they, you know, everybody in Jamaica has like two or three names. Hmm. Her name is Nicey. Hmm. And I was like, man, if we ever have a, if I ever open a patty shop, it's going to be called Nicey's for sure. Oh. One of the things that I have found fascinating, so what I was going to say about about the whole idea of memory and food is really that's what Suzanne brought in as an artist, because 
her food that she does at the dinette comes from different thoughts and different parts of her journey. Um, and so deep diving into this like um, memory and liter the literal love letter to her mother, it, um, it, it's bringing out all this stuff about food and memory. Um, and listening to the conversations, it has been really, um, it's vicarious for me a little bit, right? Like it's, yep. it's really fascinating and I'm, I'm loving listening to it. Um, and some of the conversations that I'm hearing uh, are not only um, are the our food like you're learning from a direct um, generation uh, how to make this food but then also like how far back it goes so um, I had a conversation on actually the opening night um, with some folks who were talking about that they were talking about like slave histories mm. through that food too, right? And and where you can locate things to um, a generation and where you stop being able to locate it specifically, but it's there. So, and that can be like, you know, I was at um, the feminist art residency this fall, this spring and somebody was reading a story Somebody asked her a question about what does she want people to take from her stories or what does she want white people to take from her story. And one of the things that she said was that she wants people to understand how important it is to be able to name people in your family beyond one or two generations. Um, so it struck me like that was a month ago or something and then to be deep into this food conversation again about memory, location, migration, forced migration, um, and to have food be such a powerful keeper of knowledge. Just trying to open up my eyes so I can see the light to, to realize what you mean to me and, and, and what you are to me. And maybe, maybe I, I love you. Until somebody comes out with an international cuisine where it's not bound by the ingredients and it kind of takes the techniques of everybody and just morphs them together. And that's the biggest undertaking. I don't think I'm going to do it. It would require the devotion of probably an entire chef's career to be able to achieve something. but. It would hit top 50 straight up. It's my, it's my, I have this like thing that the both of them, that I've said this a million times, but <laughs> we are, you know, we are the, our children, your children and your children will be the first generation of black people in Canada who are not born of like in first generation experience, right? And so we are also part of this generation. So there will be this huge generation of black people, black children that are born and that are not, they're not directly related to an, a diaspora ex experience, but are very, but are Black Canadians, right? That are intrinsically and Torontonian and Torontonian to boot. Well. So I think that that's that's what I think about, right? It's like it's it's like the echo, the echo. Yeah, well, yeah. We're like, there's going to be mean? someone who but, wants to take on that problem. Yeah, exactly. What does it mean to be a person who, like, in a very similar way to like Black American experience? You know, what does it mean to be a Black Canadian who is not? 
who is not African or like Nigerian Canadian, who is not, you know, Jamaican Canadian, who is like, I, you know, my culture is black, is black than that. Yeah. 